the point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy. Who is good? Hashtag glue guy. Hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holik to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Welcome to Liberty Blue, the best Rangers podcast in town, the essential New York Rangers podcast. I'm Andrew Chelney alongside Nick Zararis and Nick. Well, they looked pretty terrible against Carolina. They bounced back against Chicago and then only kind of played half the game against Montreal to, to take a point away. Ups and downs of a long season, my friend. We've been talking about this a lot over the last two weeks as we've kind of settled into the season. You know, we we try not to read too much into a lot of the data till we get about 20 games. The 20 game mark this season was game was against Buffalo, the 5-1 loss to Buffalo on a Tuesday. I believe that was the first week of December. That's about where we can start to get an idea of who the Rangers are. Generally speaking, you want to get about 20 games before you start reading into the data because one game can have a really um, excised influence on that overall no- on those overall numbers because there's just not as many games. Now that we're you know we're over that 40 game mark we're getting into the the we're getting within throwing distance of the all-star break. The trade deadline is about 7 weeks away. We can really start to get an understanding of who the Rangers are. We all looked at that team after the first month and thought, okay, they finally figured out the possession issues. They've got the power play humming. It's just a matter of the goaltending getting going because, you know, the goaltending other quick had been good in those first three or four starts he'd made. But by and large, Shesterkin himself said, hey, I need to be better. And they have continued to win games. They haven't played incredible hockey as of late i would say they've sprinkled in a lot of meh hockey but because they're more talented their best players are more talented than most of the teams they come up against they keep finding ways to win you saw the other end of that stick last tuesday against carolina when carolina is on their game and carolina's slowly but surely rounded into form i want to say carolina's on something like seven one seven of their last ten something like that over the last few weeks as they've rounded into form as their goaltending has settled down as they've gotten um kochetkov kind of into a rhythm where he's done a little bit better in the starts he's made than the ones they were getting from uh, auntie ranta but when you are playing a team like carolina that is where you get your fortitude as a team tested. Because remember, that game was 2-1 to one midway through the second period. Kreider scores that deflection, and everybody's looking around at each other like, okay, we, we got a good chance here. All we got to do is stick with it. But you heard Laviolette say it after the game. Carolina played a very simple game, and they kept forcing us into making mistakes. That was the first time this year I felt like the Rangers didn't get better as the game went along. That has been a recurring theme for them this season because they've gotten the lead early so often this year. You heard the stat I said before we started recording. I'll reiterate it now. The Rangers are 18-3-1 when they score first this year. 
when they get out to a lead, they have shown a magnificent ability to build on their leads, sustain them, and blow teams out. You heard me say that stat last week that they'd won 14 games by two or more goals this year of their 27 wins I think they have. So when they get out in front, they have done a great job. And when they don't, I mean, they're 8-7-1 and one when the other team scores first. So that's not an atrocious number to be 500 when the other team scores first. But Carolina, that was the first time this year it really felt like, damn, they're just going to keep skating into the high four guys at the blue line, not getting through and wasting time. Carolina did a really good job of frustrating the Rangers, forcing them into a lot of mistakes. I mean, you go back and watch the tape from that game last Tuesday, pretty much all of those Carolina goals are just direct misplays, not like the other, they got outplayed. It's just they turned the puck over in bad situations. That one play that Gustafson had where he kind of passed the puck to the middle at, to no one in particular, Schneider wasn't looking back because he wasn't expecting the puck to go to the middle, and that really kind of sealed the game. I think that was the goal that made it four to one. And then Sveshnikov got the hat trick there. So Carolina was the first time this year that they really, that really kind of, I won't say set off alarms because it's one game, but that was the first time this year. I was like, damn, okay, we've made progress since last year, but it is a lot of the same team as last year. It is. And I think the game against Montreal highlighted that a little bit too, because they, the, the first half of the game was all Montreal essentially. The Rangers didn't show up until the the second line, which is the de facto first line, because the actual first line isn't doing a whole lot of anything at the moment. The second line of Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere got the game going. They scored the first goal. I think they scored the, the second. Panarin scored the second goal. I forget. I, and then I think it was Will Cooley who scored the, the third goal. But like that second line, again, at five on five, dr- was the was the main driver behind the the team's offense they got the team going they set the tone and then the rangers lost in the in the in the skills competition but like we saw a lot of this last year where the rangers would play a bad team or a or a team that's worse than they are and i don't want to say not take them seriously but like Mont- montreal had no business controlling half of that game they just didn't and the Rangers let that happen, which is something that we saw under Gerard Gallant. And that kind of creeped in to what they did on Saturday. Against Carolina, it was just a mess. Like that game, pretty much from start to finish, was a mess. Kreider, Kreider's goal was the only kind of highlight there. They, the Rangers had it, and then they just kind of. Uh, they, they, it wasn't a clean game by any stretch of the imagination. There are so many mental mistakes. It just, it just didn't feel like a clean game from them. And every mistake the Rangers made end up in the back of the net. Carolina is a really good team, and when you when you make mistakes against good teams, they will make you pay for them. Against Chicago, they look good. Brendan Othman with his NHL debut, he looked really good against Chicago. I understand. We talked about this before we hit record. That yeah, I mean Chicago at the time. Now Bedard is injured, but at the time Chicago was just Bedard and friends. But you still, you know, if if you're playing in your first NHL game, you still got to go out there and you know play well, regardless of who it is that you're playing. You still got to go out there and play well. And I think Brendan Othman really did have a solid NHL debut. Had some nice looks. He you know he was skating. He was uh, he he looked like a good player. He didn't play much at all against Montreal, which I think was kind of a weird decision. If you look good against Chicago and Montreal is, I mean, better than Chicago for sure, but by how much that's to be decided, you only played what seven or eight minutes or something like that. So I, I'm not, I'm not too big a fan of that, but yeah, that, that I think the biggest gripe with me right now is that first line with, with, with Blake Wheeler at Capo Caco. 
is coming. It should be coming back soon. He's still, I think, in the no contact. I saw the clip from practice today. But apparently, sooner rather than later, that's going to get changed to a normal jersey. He should be back soon. And that's something the Rangers desperately need. I think I'm trying to articulate how I want to say this. I don't want to say you're kind of they're settling into who they are. Like, you know, they've been in there. A lot of what didn't work last year, I think, has been rectified on some level. The stat the Rangers love to use, and they talk about it on the broadcast pretty much every single time they lose, is that they've only lost once after after a loss this year. They have a really good record bouncing back from losses. They have a really good attention to detail, correcting what hasn't worked. But that only remains true as long as the results stay. It is not because they play significantly better in the games they don't win, uh, games they win after losses. It's more so that things come back to the level. The the one stat I wanted to point out here is something that I found interesting was for a large stretch of the the season, they've been about league average in most of the key statistics, scoring chances, expected goals, high danger chances, shooting percentage, uh, save percentage. They've been right around the league average in all of those key statistics, but the Rangers have gotten timely special teams, and that's really been a deciding factor for them. The one stat I wanted to point out was they are they started out the season pretty cold shooting wise everybody remembers that kako the the two the original for top six of kako on the first line with zabinijad and Kreider, and then lafreniere with panarin and hedel at the time those lines got off to great starts really really strong starts possession wise but the goals weren't coming for them and i kept saying well they're shooting like four or five percent that'll get up to seven or eight percent and the offense will come they eventually took kako off that first line put wheeler in there kako gets hurt the last week of november and that's been the top six ever since. Wheeler's been riding with Zabinjad and Kreider, and Lafreniere has been riding with uh, Panarin and Trocek. But because the shooting percentage came back around like it was always going to, especially because Panarin's shooting more and he's got a good shot, the numbers, they they feel a little bit more susceptible to um, luck streaks. That's the way, that's what I was trying to describe. Because they aren't a dominant possession team, it feels like these games very much swing on the, are they going to get the bounces tonight? Because they are generally a good team, they have better players who, their good players are better than most of the teams they come up against. The Rangers' top four players, you know, Zabinijad, Panarin, Fox, and then Trocek or Kreider, whoever you want to say, are better than the top four players you're going to come up against for most of the other teams in the NHL. Those guys being better than the other team's guys, more often than not, is enough. But when you are so reliant on goaltending and those guys just outshooting the other team, you are going to have nights like Saturday on Montreal where, yeah, it took them a little while to get going. But once they got going, they firmly controlled that game. And to give credit where it's due, Montembeau kept the Canadians in that game once the Rangers got going and more saved the game in overtime. I mean, the Rangers spent almost the entirety of that five minutes in their zone. And that's going to happen when you don't dominate possession, when you give the other team chances to hang around they're going to find ways to win eventually you know you can only play with fire for so long till you get burned but they're still in first place in the division i want to say they have a five point lead down to second place in the to carolina i think i'm pulling that up as we speak right now so you know they've come back down to earth we said it a few weeks ago they were never going to be a set in 800 points percentage team yeah they are five points up on carolina they have two games in hand on carolina though so we are now at the point where it's a matter of what is the identifiable issue? How are they going to improve it? 
They need a little more scoring. We all know that. The deadline conversations will pick up as teams that are out of the mix start to actually accept they are out of the mix. Well, my question to you now is, okay, if you're Chris Drury, let's, for let's for the sake of this conversation, say the Rangers will find a way to make the money work. Let's just throw out the money out for, for, for just a second. And my question to you is, for that first line, do you stick with Kako once he comes back, or can they find a right winger that will actually get Zabinijad and Kreider going at even strength? And and if they can and if they do, then who who is that player? Forget money for a second. If they can make this happen, who could be the ideal target? Because like that that is truly, I think, the biggest question right now for the Rangers. Yeah, the second line is great. You could always get a couple of extra depth depth forwards here and there. That top line is not doing well at 5-1-5. How do you fix it? Okay, so the first part of that question, I think we'll have a better understanding of what the Rangers want to do at the deadline when we get more clarity on what Filipino's status is. Because if Filipino is going to return this season, that means the Rangers can't add somebody who's making decent money without getting into the shenanigans of dressing X number of players per game or getting a third team to retain salary. We have traditionally seen Kreider and Zabinijad at their best with one of two skill sets to their right. It's either the volume shooter or the guy who can carry the puck through the neutral zone on their own and let them both be more, I don't want to say facilitators because obviously Zabinijad and Kreider are both good goal scorers, but they're not the strongest of puck carriers. They're not great at getting the puck through the neutral zone, carrying the puck into the offensive zone, unless it's off the rush. Then when they get into those odd man situations, yes, they're better at that. But that was what made Buchnevich work so well with them was his ability to navigate the neutral zone, carry the puck into the offensive zone. And that gave Zabinijad and Kreider more space to operate because the defense, the defense would have to respect the fact that, oh, this guy is carrying the puck in. He has the puck. We know the other two guys are probably more dangerous individually, but because they don't have the puck, we have to respect him as the puck carrier. So as far as who the Rangers could target, the 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 archetype we're looking for is something in the vein of what Frank Vitrano was a couple of years ago, what they what Tarasenko ultimately ended up doing last year, even though he didn't do that here. Somebody like Jordan Eberly, maybe someone like Daniel Sprong, somebody who's just gets the puck to the net a lot, a lot, a lot, has a little bit of an ability to recover the puck. That is something the Rangers sorely need, is somebody who is good on the puck, who also can forecheck. Um, if you go and look at the forechecking numbers that Corey Snyder has, their most effective forechecker is Blake Wheeler. And all due respect to Blake Wheeler, he's not fast enough for that to matter, frankly. That's more of an indictment of the rest of the team's ability to forecheck than it is a praise of Wheeler's. So skill set wise, they need either a volume shooter or a puck carrier. The puck carrier is a lot harder to find because those are generally your best players. The best players in the world are that good because they're able to navigate the neutral zone. So somebody in that tier, we talked about it a few weeks ago in regards to Jordan Eberle, who I, I made the really mediocre Photoshop of. He would work in that case Frank Vitrano would work in that case. There are definitely guys who fit that archetype of just let the puck fly because that's probably the most um, cost-effective solution is the way I should say it because the Rangers have a bundle of assets. They have a lot of picks. They don't have seconds, but they have a lot of picks. They have Zach Jones. They have Matthew Robertson. They have a few guys who not cornerstones for a blockbuster trade, 
But if you want to get, you know, a top seven forward, top eight forward, somebody in that vein, like a Frank Vetrano, I want to say Vetrano cost them, what, a fourth round pick two years ago, something like that. That's generally the type of skill set I would be looking to prioritize. I don't know if the Rangers are going to be able to do that because we don't know what the cap situation is going to look like. Like, I know we said regardless of money, regardless of money, yeah, you want Vetrano, you want Jordan Eberle. I'm trying to think someone else in that vein who's just going to let it rip. I don't need them to be efficient, but I need them to be able to shoot the puck on the net and to be decent at skating. That's the biggest hindrance Wheeler has is he just can't keep up with play. Well, the the problem with Vetrano is that he's signed through next season and he is signed... His cap hit, according to Cap Friendly, is $3.65 million, which is pretty much exactly what Barclay Goudreau makes. The The problem is is that Goudreau's having a terrible season, so his uh, his trade value is as... I mean, it, it hasn't been high because of his contract, but it is very low right now. So if you wanted to get... If you wanted to trade Goudreau and get a player like Vetrano, you have to... I mean... You it ha- would be more than it, just the player. You would it, have to it, give yeah. probably a second. Yeah. You would probably have to give a second just to get rid of Gaudreau's contract. Yeah. And then right. something in addition to that for the player right. you're getting in return. And and teams have, have seen Jack uh, Zach Jones play. Is he enough to get Frank Vachano? I don't know the answer to that. Do the Rangers, you know, do they go all in and start moving Matthew Robertson? Do they, I mean... They, there, so, somebody in the NHL would have to give them something massive for this, but I mean, Perot just had an amazing, amazing World World Juniors. I don't think they, I don't think they, they use him as trade bait unless, unless like a superstar caliber player, you know, is is available, and the Rangers, re, you know, they they, some teams go all in. This would be sell the house all in type of move where Gabriel Perot is essentially your, your biggest prospect right now. He's been, he's had a spectacular season, all eyes on him. He had, he's, he's been shining bright all, you know, through the world juniors and through his, you know, through college right now, he's, he's been spectacular. Every team in the NHL would want a Gabriel Perot on their team. Okay. Well, the problem with, you know, the, the if, if the Rangers were to move him, that, that is okay. Every, we don't care about next season. We don't care about two seasons from now. This, this is it. This is the year, and you can you can still go all in without moving Gabriel Perot. It's not as if if you don't trade him, then the season's over. But like, they have options. It's just a matter of how how drastically they want to to tinker with the offense and and the and the roster by extension. Because if you if you put Gabriel Perot on the trade block, you are bringing in a big name. Or you know, or some, or somebody with a lot of trade value. Okay, well, if you do that, a lot of money has to go because I would imagine that if you're a highly skilled player, you're gonna make you're making a lot of money in this league. So that's Perot, Goudreau plus blankety blankety blank to get the to get whoever you want. So, I mean, that's an option on the table. I kind of don't think the Rangers are going to go that route with Perot unless something just falls on their lap, which I mean, it's it's January 8th. It's it's too early for me to say yes or no either way, but I kind of don't think they're going to do that, but we'll see. Um, I, in my head, 
I have been arguing all season that this group has the ability to do something special because of the results they've been getting. We talked about the idea of making their own luck that, yeah, they have gotten a lot of bounces this year, but that's because of the way they've played, that they've been able to replicate that style over and over and over again. And I was going to save this for later, but right now, Panarin, Trocek, Zabinijad, and Kreider are all on pace for close to or better than their career highs. When you have your four best forwards all on pace for career highs, that tells you you're operating in a a uniquely special environment to say that in addition to that, we are going to put more chips in. Now, as far as the arguments for who you would trade, that kind of thing, Gabriel Perot is at minimum one more season away from helping the Rangers. He will finish this year in college. He will go back to college next year. After the college season next year, then maybe there's an argument he joins the team at the end of that college regular season for the end of the NHL regular season and the playoffs. I don't think there's a world where he would make the NHL team this season. I don't think there's a world where the Rangers would risk that. And the way I would say I can kind of definitively say that is you saw how much they babied Brendan Othman in, you know, a regular season game against a bad team in January. If the Rangers were really going to be avant-garde and risky and really push some chips in here, they would have let Othman spin. They would have said, all right, you're going to go out there with Zbigniew and Kreider. You played good against Chicago. We want to see if you're good enough to play at this level. That was the argument I had a few weeks ago when I had said, hey, they should give Othman a real look as opposed to doing the Johnny Brodzinski in the top six thing, because if Othman is ready to go, that's one less thing you have to add at the deadline. Because if Othman can do, you know, what we're talking about of a Toronto or a Jordan Eberle doing, okay, great. They they haven't shown a willingness to do that. I think that's in part because they know Kako's relatively close to coming back and there's no point in getting him that exposure up there as opposed to doing what they've been doing, which I don't want to say is treading water because the results have still been pretty good. But as far as the idea of going all in, We talked about it last week in respect to the idea that nobody is that scary in the NHL as of right now. If you've got that going for you, you've got four players all on pace for a career year or close to a career year. You've got the league's best power play. And your ace in the hole is we have a goalie who's capable of being the best goalie in the world when he's right. He's been about the 10th best goalie in the regular season so far this year. If you've got that all going for you, you know you have you can get Igor to another level higher and you can still go out and add to this group. All of that together, I think it's worth considering you start thinking about maybe we go a tier higher than Vetrano. I don't think the Rangers are going to shop in that Lindholm, Stamkos, insert name here tier because I saw a tweet that Claude Giroux could be a name, but he's making 6.5. Like that's a lot of money. You, you'd have, you'd have to do a lot of gymnastics to make that happen. He'd be, listen, he'd be great. He'd be fantastic. First of all, I don't know like how that math is going to work. You need a third team involved. Probably. That's not the hard part. The hard part is getting the money out because They're going to have to accept they have they're going to have to cut their losses with Goudreau. So two things. Number one, we all it has been reported by more than one person that the Rangers shopped Barkley Goudreau last summer. They did not want to attach an asset to get rid of him, but they called around trying to make more cap space this past summer. And rather than giving up an asset to get rid of him, they thought maybe we can get him to play a little bit better and we can revisit this idea down the road. That has not happened. That is backfired. 
this contract was never going to age well. We yeah, all knew that right. the moment it was signed. The Rangers knew that the moment it was signed. They signed him for non-results reasons. They signed him because they wanted experience. They wanted leadership. They wanted physical play. They accepted that was going to be a sunk cost because it was going to be hard to move on from that. And then number two, Andrew. I don't think it will happen because from what I remember and what I understand, the Rangers did ask the Flyers a couple of years ago, hey, would you be willing to trade him to us? And Drew said, I don't want to go there. And he said, I'm only going to the Panthers. Now, maybe things have changed since then. Yeah. But as far as I remember, that was the narrative there because we were all in agreement. Drew was the first choice for the Rangers two years ago. Because remember, at the deadline two years ago, the Rangers had like $11 million in cap space because right. they had all those guys on ELCs. Fox was still on his entry level. Level contract they had a lot more space and they could have taken Jeru's full cap hit at the time well the so well time time changes everything can you think of it this way because i just looked up uh closure's birthday he turns 36 years old in four days he is playing on a bad ottawa senators team that is going nowhere fast I understand the thought process, especially if you're a lifetime at the time you were a lifetime flyer you don't want to go to the rangers i understand that you are 36 Time is ticking. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be other teams that, that are going to inquire about closure services, but as of right now, the Rangers are one of, if not the best team in the league, and let's just, for the for the sake of this conversation, say that the Rangers are once again interested in closure. You're 36, you're on a bad team, and you have the opportunity to join one of the best teams in the league for a cup run. If it, like, I, I understand, again... If you're on the Flyers, you hate the Rangers, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't have ten years, it you know, in your NHL career left to to chase cups. Like Claude Giroux is still playing really well, but he doesn't. Like, he's up. He's not going to play for, in the league until he's sixty, trying to trying to win Stanley Cup with the Ottawa Senators. Like that's just not going to happen. So if I uh, I think the situation's different, I. I it's obviously tough to gauge whether or not he's interested because I don't have a direct. I, I can't text closure right now and be like, "Hey, what you said this? You said this a couple of years ago. What do you think now?" It's like I can't, you know, I can't ask him directly. But I would have to imagine that because the situation's different, time has passed. He's going to be thirty-six. I don't know if he'd be super like you know jumping on board, but I, I, I based on context clues, I would have to think he's he'd be a little more open to the idea. I understand that line of thinking. This is something we can revisit closer to the deadline and obviously will revisit closer to the deadline sure. because we're still, you know, like I said, seven weeks away from the deadline. A lot of teams are still stubbornly trying to cling to the idea that they're in the mix. But Ottawa is a team that is primed to kind of sell off a few assets, Calgary, a few assets, Anaheim, San Jose, Chicago. I, I know I, I, I read a list the other day of targets for the Rangers and I giggled when I saw Felino on there because that's, that's what the Rangers need is, you know, right. Walmart, Milan, Lucic from 2011 in the present. But one thing I wanted to touch on today that I found interesting because over the weekend, Molly had a feature in the post. And then I don't know if it published today or yesterday. Staple had a feature in the athletic about differences between the teams this year versus last year. 
Molly's was through the lens of how the Rangers are a lot better prepared. Kay Andre had the quote of, we've never been this well prepared in my entire time in being in New York. You know, as somebody who's been here for three coaches in four years, five years for Kay Andre, that's saying a lot. And then I, I screenshotted it and tweeted it. But for Truba to say the the Rangers underachieved last year and struggled, especially out of the gate last year, was because they were nervous about the expectations they set for themselves is in direct contrast to everything we heard about the team last year. We heard it from Sam himself, who is around the team every day. We want to get to the playoffs. We expect to get back to the playoffs. They came in with their chest puffed out with a confidence that we're going to make the playoffs no matter what. We're so confident we can make the playoffs. We're going to dress 16 skaters multiple times. We're going to go all in on trading for two guys who won Stanley Cups before. You're going to tell me a team that has guys who've won multiple Stanley Cups, who have won Olympic gold medals, that they were nervous, and that's the reason the Rangers underperformed last year. Total nonsensical diplomatic BS. That is him trying to not throw Gallant under the bus because Gallant was his guy. And I, I, that's one thing I found hilarious about the way last season went was they were all happy with not having any direction until they lost in the playoffs and all the attention immediately went on to the players. And then as soon as Gallant got fired, it was, well, we wanted to be coached. We weren't getting any coaching. We were only practicing 10 minutes of practice. I... I struggle to find empathy for the narrative that Truba is portraying. I think they were happy with how two years ago went. They thought it would be pretty easy to run it back because it was pretty much the same exact group. It didn't happen. They all were looking around at each other. They figured the coach is a lot easier to replace than one of the guys. And that's where we are right now. I'm not going to say they lucked in the Lavulette, but it does kind of feel like they lucked in the Lavulette. I think it's hilarious that Kendra Miller said the quiet part out loud. Like yes. That. We all knew. Yes. We all knew that that was the case, right? Like this was so, this was the most open secret in the NHL that David Quinn didn't know how to coach and that Gerard Gallant didn't coach like that, that, that they, they never practiced. They didn't do like they didn't, they didn't prepare for things. Like I'm sure there were, there were media sessions. I'm sure there was, some kinds of, you know, some kinds of maybe tape sessions or whatever, but through and through the Rangers were not prepared for the vast majority under Gerard Gallant. And now you bring in Peter Laviolette, who is an adult and will actually try to practice with the team and coach them and, and teach them things and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, by, by proxy, Peter Laviolette's a godsend for some of these players, especially like Andrew Miller. Like, yeah. Oh my God. We, there's coaches that prepare. That's a great point I hadn't even thought of. You think about the key developmental years of a player. You think about Kay Andre, who comes in after two years of college, and he was a little bit further along than Kako and Lafreniere because he had those two years of college experience. But you think about how much they pissed away over the three, four years they had Kako, Lafreniere, Heedle. We go back, Leas Anderson, Braden Schneider, all of the young guys under David Quinn, under Gerard Gallant, who at the most important points of their development were getting that. Where somebody like Kay Andre, who was in an environment at Wisconsin, you know, pretty high level college program, a coach who had been around and in the NHL, the Granado, the one Granado, I forget if it's Don or Tony that's in the NHL. And but you, you get my point. Somebody who's gotten Don, real Don is the Sabres coach. So Tony at Wisconsin, yeah. So real coaching at the college level, and then got to the NHL where David Quinn was texting the players trying to be their friend outside of work, which you know, weird. 
that was an entirely different weird thing, but the Rangers pissed away so many opportunities here. I, I know we talked a lot. He's about doing the- it now, actually, but Mike Greer is in the, t- is in the text chain. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got to say about yeah, that. I can't begin to get emphasize how obvious this all was. Yeah. I, I mean, we can identify these things. When you watch every single game, and the same mistakes happen over and over again, where guys are not in position where they need to be, guys aren't developing good habits, it's disjointed, it's clunky. We have an episode from last season titled, Do the Rangers Practice?, no, they didn't. No. We we know for a fact they didn't, that they were not a well-prepared team, that they expected to win on their talent most nights. And most nights, when you're as talented as the Rangers are, you can get away with that. In a best-of-seven series where you play the same team seven times over two and a half weeks, you cannot get away with that because the other team eventually cues in on what you're good at. Once they take that away, the Rangers did not have a counterpunch. We've identified this a lot, but it feels good to get validated and knowing that we weren't insane, that we spent the entirety of last season saying, hey, man, the defense looks horrendous. They don't know where the first breakout pass needs to go. The forwards fly the defensive zone way too early, and they're never there to receive a pass so they can go from defense to offense. At least now, the Rangers have real coaching. They missed the opportunity to get the most out of some of these guys, but it's not totally over. My question is, if we can identify these issues, where is Rangers management in all this? Uh, So this is something I find interesting and we can talk about in that. I think a big issue in regards to that idea is a lot of this isn't about, you know, the facts as they lie. Like you heard me say before, we all knew this. The Rangers themselves knew this, but you can't throw the coach under the bus. You can't throw players under the bus. It, we all, you and I are both media people. We understand it is important that the players and the coach are made available to the media. I have also long said, because of the way that relationship is set up, especially in regards to the Rangers organization, we get a never-ending stream of BS. We get a never-ending stream of manufactured manufactured consent answers that don't particularly illuminate or describe anything. And we only ever get good quotes and good information after the fact, when the people involved are no longer involved, because then it's okay to throw them under the bus. And even now, Truba would have been well within his rights to say, We were really good. We were better than we expected two years ago. And we came into last year a little too confident. We didn't learn. We did not come into last season with the best mindset. It didn't set us up for success. But we've learned from that now. Instead, to say that a team full of professional athletes spent the first 40 games of last season nervous that they weren't going to live up to expectations. I mean, that's just that's. That's not how sports work, man. If you're going to say that, then that's on the organization for not having you guys ready. I uh, uh, that coach is a lot. It's just nonsense. He he's he has identified a way of saying nothing while attacking nobody or outing anybody, and that's what he chose to do. Keandre Miller was more honest about, hey, Gerard Gallant never practiced, and Ger- and David Quinn did nothing. Very, very obvious by his statement that that's what that that's what he said. 
Truba, on the other hand, went the route of everything was totally fine. We were just, we were just skewered. We were skewered. We couldn't, we were, we couldn't, you know, we were, we were a deer in the headlights and we were, we, we couldn't, we couldn't get over that. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? Like you're literally your defensive partner is like, yeah, it was the coach. And you're out here saying that it was it, because you were noivous. Like, dude, give me a break. Give me a, give me a break. Come on. It's it's been a gripe of mine for a while that the Rangers organization doesn't take just their. I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Their their public relation, their team relations to the public, very seriously. It's very manufactured, cookie cutter. Uh, it's not authentic. It comes off as we all have to do this. We don't want to do this. We will do as little as we can to illuminate as little as possible. And then if and when we need a scapegoat, we'll pick somebody. Like, I just, it's it's frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating as somebody who does a podcast that we can determine this. Yeah. Watching the team on TV or at the Garden, but the team will come out and say, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. There, there's nothing wrong here. It's our fault. When very clearly, it was more than just, hey. It's it's frustrating. You know what you know what it is at the end of the day, and it, it's it's ironic to say this given the record the past few years. That is a losing mentality. Oh, it is. It is. That like, it's an undercurrent. That's right. the when I wrote the thing I wrote at the end of last season, the the autopsy 1.0 that re- people really responded to. Because these are all long-term problems. We identified at the end of last season that the Rangers' big issue was they were not taking the present seriously. It was, we're going to be fine. Our team is good. We will keep adding to this group at the expense of the future, and it won't matter. Because eventually we're going to have so much talent, it won't matter. Then rent came due. They, They have effectively capped themselves out with the group they have. They can add one marquee guy at the deadline the next couple years, but this is more or less the group they have. Instead of trying to develop the young guys they had, and bring in veterans. They brought in the veterans. They threw the younger guys aside. They figured they're good enough. They're they're this develop. They are this talented traits wise that they can't possibly be messed up. We will figure it out as we go because our best players are good enough. And that's really been the undercurrent. Now, they have gotten, they have climbed out of that that hole they were in. There is clearly a coach in charge who understands the assignment. There is a coach here who is getting more out of the guys they had. You heard me say it. They have four guys, Panarin, Kreider, Trocek, and Lafreniere, and in addition, uh, Kreider, are all on pace to beat or close to career highs. You've got that. You've got the young guys taking steps. Kako comes back. Maybe he can find his scoring touch that wasn't there those first 15 games he was playing. The opportunity for something special is here it is on this group to seize it, though. As much as we want to say, well, the coach is making a difference, it's going to be on those guys. It's going to be on Panarin, Trocek, Kreider, Zabinijad, Fox, Shisterkin to be the difference. Because last year against the Devils, they came up very small. And I know it's early to be talking about the playoffs on January 8th, but we all know that's the expectation here. It's not. This is not a regular season team. We're not like the Canucks, who have been bad for a couple of years, and they went around in the playoffs. They'll be pretty happy. The Canucks made the playoffs three years ago in the fake playoffs, and they won a series. You know, the Rangers haven't. The Rangers' expectation was to make a conference final. You don't fire a coach for losing a first round playoff series if you don't have high expectations. 
The expectation is to go deep this year. How do they do that? Well, we've identified the issues here. They're a forward short, and they're arguably a bottom six forward short as well. The potential is there. Now it's on the team to not BS themselves and accept that, hey, we have faults. We need to improve them. The difference between a losing mentality and a winning mentality is, is two things. It's honesty and it's action. The, you have to be honest with yourself and to the public about what your shortcomings are. If you come out there and you spin zone the fa- or you try to spin zone the fans and spin zone yourself in the process that everything is fine and everything is hunky dory, last season happens where you you put these rose called rose color tinted uh, rose tinted uh, glasses on your face and you see everything in this bright shiny color and everything is all peaches and rainbows and everything is fine. And then you actually get to, you know, the day before the, the project is due, and then you realize that nobody did anything. Like, that that's what happened. You have to be honest about, hey, X, Y, and Z are, are the problems on this team, and until we fix them, we're not going anywhere. They weren't honest with themselves last season, and then they got burnt. And the, and the second part is action. Okay, well... They didn't address the issues last season. They just got Patrick Kane, thought everything was going to be fine. And then they got dumpstered in the first round. Like that's you, you have to act according to the, like the, the winning culture takes understanding what your issues are and actually going about fixing them. That, that, that is how you win. You can win as many regular season games as you want. I don't care. You have to win come the playoffs. And until the Rangers figure out, hey, these are our core problems. We're going to be honest with ourselves about it. We're going to be honest with the fans about it because the fans aren't stupid. They see the problems just as well as we do. Here's how we address them. And here is how we're going to fix them come, you know, come the playoffs. That is winning culture. And hopefully we'll see that come April. One last point on this idea before we move on. I know a lot of people are going to say they're in second place in the entire league. They're very comfortably in a playoff spot. Why are you getting this riled up about two nothing burger, relatively nothing burger features in January? The expectation here is to win a championship. They came into this year with that mindset. The types of guys they prioritized in the offseason, Benino, Blake Wheeler, Jonathan Quick, guys with long playoff track records, significant experience, and they fired a coach last year after making the playoffs. You only do that if your standard is really high. They, I'm not going to say they're running out of time with this win, this group because, by and large, the Rangers have exceeded um, – Age curves, like Chris Kreider is a total anomaly. People don't just suddenly become the best they've ever been at 33 years old. So there's no reason to believe they can't keep manipulating their power play to be in that upper echelon for the next couple of years, even as guys like Trocek, Kreider, Zabinijad, Panarin all get older. But something I wrote down that I was curious about that I think is worth discussing. The Rangers right now, they are converting on 29.6. We'll round up to 30 because... It's simpler that way, of power plays. That's first in the entire league. 27% of the Rangers' goals this year have come on the power play. So compared to recent cup winners last year, in the, these are regular season, not playoffs, of regular season cup, win, cup winners in the regular season, Vegas last year, 16% of their goals came on the power play. Colorado two years ago, 22%. Tampa Bay, 22%. Tampa Bay, 20%. The Blues, 20%. Washington, 21%. And you're going to say, well, 27% and 22%, there's not a big gap there. 5% is a big gap when we're talking about 
a playoff run. When we're talking about seven games, 2%, 3%, that's two goals over seven games. That doesn't sound like a lot, but in the playoffs where the margin for error is really small, you have got to be looking everywhere you can for a possible edge. And this isn't a secret. We know the Rangers are a forward short at five on five, but having access to data like that, we can bear out where specifically the Rangers need to strengthen their team. They have the capability to play with anyone in the league. That's not the argument here. The argument is you need to be doing everything you can for this group right now because this group has had something the last couple have not had. If you want to say the 21-22 team that made the conference final had this type of juice that they kept finding ways to win in spite of the fact that they weren't playing particularly well, that's true. It did. There's a reason Panarin had his career high in points that year. Kreider had the 54 goals. But it seems more sustainable this year because they have better habits, because they are getting coached by an adult. When you combine all of these little things, when we talk about building up that pyramid, we're talking they're not that far off from the ability of doing something really special. We're talking about one or two forwards probably being the difference between winning a Stanley Cup and a second-round exit. And that's a really high bar to clear. I understand that. They only give out one Stanley Cup. I know you can go to Target and get one, but a different kind of bar. I don't think you can get one. They're all sold out. Depends the color. If you get one of the limited run colors, they go out very fast, but you can get the black or silver ones. Those are generally in stock at Target. But on this point, before we move on, they have the chance to do something special here. And stupidly, naively, I tweeted it during the Montreal game. I think this group can do something really special, and I really don't want to set myself up for failure again. Uh, yeah. It's it's tough because you don't ever want to go too high and don't ever want to go too low. This team, it there's just a different vibe around the organization than there have been in previous years. Maybe it's it's manufactured just in our heads because Gerard Gallant isn't the coach and they actually have a head coach that wants to win games and does things that you know positively impacts the team instead of just patting them on the back and telling them good job. Like the Peter Laviolette is in, he's in the lab. He's practically, he's making them practice. Like he, he, Kendra Miller said it. He's the team is incredibly prepared coming in every game. Like this, the, the, the behind the scenes is so much more structured than we've seen in, in numerous years now. And maybe that is giving us as, as fans, this idea that, you know, the, the the vibe is different, but the vibe is different comes from good habits. It comes from them just not making these ridiculous mistakes that they've been making on the past few years of, you know, not knowing where your teammate is, like not understanding, you know, how to how to do a breakout, like basic things that you iron out before the game that weren't done because they never did anything before the game to now where these little things that bother the hell out of us in previous seasons are much less frequent than they have been. And that is one part of the reason why we feel so much better about them now than we have been. Because, yeah, I mean, they Carolina game was a stinker. Montreal game, they kind of slipped with the first half of that game. But overall, they they, they play so much better. I don't want to say, like, they, they 
have it's been cleaner. playing better. It's, it's cleaner. It's just it's smoother. cleaner. Right. Yes. Thank you. I'm like blanking on the. I can't. You know, I speak two languages, but apparently I can't speak any of them right now. It's just like I. They. They look like a a team that is settled. They are settled into the system that they want to play, and they are much more confident in their ability to do it well. Because it seemed like last season, and you know, under under Galan, under Quinn, it was a lot of, huh? I have the puck. Okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do I'm gonna just figure something out. I, I'm like it's a it was it seemed a lot more on the fly, whereas for right now. There's a lot less of that, and there's a lot more of okay. Well, if I like, there's a lot more plan B, plan C, plan D. Kind of okay. Well, I have the puck here. I'm gonna do this. I know my teammate's gonna be here, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna create a scoring opportunity this way. It feels a lot more fluid. Whereas in previous years, it was very jagged for the most part, and nobody, there was never a free flow on either end of the ice, really that we see now and i think that is one of the biggest things that has changed coming from from this year to last that has i think given us more hope than we had before okay last thing i wanted to touch on before we get out of here today we're recording a little bit earlier because i'm going to the game tonight against the canucks um Marner got, not Marner, excuse me, Nylander got his extension from the Leafs, and there's been a lot of discussion uh, this morning about how much you can prioritize the top end of your roster, because that's been the knock on the Leafs as they've assembled this roster, is they don't have enough room on the margins to improve their bottom six, their goaltending, their third defensive pair, and that's really been a defining issue for them in their playoff runs, whether they've come up short a lot, is that they just don't have the horses down the lineup, throughout the lineup, and we're about to enter in theory, an environment where you're going to be able to keep more guys because the cap is supposed to go up something in the neighborhood of five to 10 million this upcoming summer, based on what the NHL is forecasting. I pose to you, is there a world where we can get to a point where NHL teams can actually just keep good players? Because it feels ridiculous that the Maple Leafs are being dinged for having good players. Like the entire point of the draft is you draft good players, you develop them, you pay them. The Leafs have played the game the correct way. They have drafted pretty well. They have developed superstar players, Mitch Marner, Nylander, and Austin Matthews, genuine superstars amongst probably all three, probably amongst the top 40 players, 30 players in the entire world. The Leafs are getting penalized here because they've drafted well, because they've played the system well. Is there a world where we can get to the point where the salary cap is not a hindrance in maintaining a good team? Or is this just kind of the NHL is a smaller league than the other ones in North America? There's always going to be a relatively low cap ceiling and good teams are always going to get penalized. Well, uh, the cap number doesn't matter to this conversation because what will just end up happening is, is players will get paid more, which is great. That's what we want because players are still not getting a whole lot of money in comparison to other players and other sports. This idea is not mine. I saw I, I've seen it thrown around here, you know, the past few years or so. But the idea of if you draft a player that you get essentially a cap discount based on what what kind of contract you give them, such such that it incentivizes teams to draft well. 
it, like the the idea that okay, well, if you sign a free agent, then their whole contract is on your cap hit. But if you give somebody that you drafted a big contract or or what have you, then a portion of that you kind of essentially erase from your cap because it's your homegrown talent. I I like that idea. I think that could be the the answer to what you're describing as opposed to a bigger cap because all a bigger cap will do is get players more money which is great i please let's let's get the cap to a billion dollars now so that everybody can make you know a lot more money but a, a larger gap doesn't fix the problem that you're describing but an idea center centered around a discount to a drafted player in terms of your your you know, what goes on your team's cap hit, that could be the solution. I mean, the NBA has bird rights, which more or less, you know, same idea where yeah. you can keep, you can go over the salary cap ceiling. Well, you know, NBA luxury tax, but yeah, well, they, they have a, they have a soft cap. Like they, yeah. they have a soft cap. They have a hard cap, but it's, you know, you have to clear a bunch of different things to get there. So they essentially have a soft cap. So it's a little bit of different. Like the NHL is just, here's a number. You can't cross it. The NBA is like, well, you know, if you want to, if you want, if your owner wants to spend money, you can. Yeah. And I think that's really the issue at hand we have in the NHL is the vast majority of teams are okay with the current economic arrangement. And that's why nothing changes. I, I talked about this over the weekend with somebody about, cause they asked me how much is the NHL salary cap? And I was like 83, 84 million, something like that. Cause we were talking about the NFL and how the NFL salary caps like 220 million, the NBA, the first cap threshold, I want to say is like 180, something like that. 160, somewhere in the mid one hundreds and the NHL, you know, as, when the star players are the ones who get the bulk of the money, when we're talking about the Leafs are going to be have, I want to say, 40 million in four players, they are getting dinged for playing the game the right way. When the Rangers have, I don't want to say they've adopted a similar model, but you know, they've got a good chunk of money tied up in just Zabinijad, Fox, and Panarin, and Shesterkin's going to be right there with them after the next season, after next year, where Shesterkin more likely than not is going to push nine million per year, and you're looking at 40 million in four players right there, too. So it is unfortunate that we have yet to find the solution to this issue that works for the owners because the because the owners are what is holding hockey back from taking a leap. Um Anything else you want to get in before we wrap up today? That's that's it. The Rangers, I mean, please just play the whole game next time because just I know Montreal not, Montreal is not the greatest of teams, but they're still NHL players, and if you only play half of the game, that that's what happens. Yeah. I, my counterpoint to that, and always will be, when's the last time you were 100% locked in at work for the entirety of the time you were at work? So I understand, it, you know, I, as somebody who spends a decent amount of time with a blank look on my face in the general direction of a monitor where there's no thoughts going on between my ears while I'm supposed to be working, I understand the occasional, what am I supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Looking around and, you know, like Gustafson just funneling a puck to the middle to no one in particular and that puck going in the net. I understand. Uh, Vancouver's a good test. We're, we're going to get a good... We're going to get a good barometer check on them right now because Vancouver is a team that's got high-end talent like the Rangers do. Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, JT Miller. Uh, you can pencil in the Phil Giuseppe, JT Miller, anytime goal scorer, parlay, pay for a beer or two at the game. Uh, I think that'll do it for this week's episode of the Liberty Blue Pod. Every Monday, live, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, over on YouTube as well. We'll see you guys next week. Later.